Welcome to this podcast by The Rocks Church. We hope you find it challenging and inspiring. For more information, visit therocks.church. So not long ago, I was uh, reading a news article that I stumbled across about a man by the name of Howard Kirby. And Howard Kirby lives in the United States in uh, Michigan, and he had bought a couch for $70 from a Habitat for Humanity Restore outlet. So that's kind of like Good Sammy's here in Australia. And this couch came with like an ottoman, like footstool type thing. And so he took them home, set them up, kind of relaxed himself into his couch and put his feet up. And after a while, noticed that the cushion on the ottoman was just an unusual shape and a little kind of uncomfortable. And so on further inspection, he realized that you could kind of unzip the cushion and and take it out. And so he did. And when he opened the ottoman up, he found underneath the cushion a plastic bag with $43,000 in cash. That is a good day, right? Mr. Kirby then decided to go back to the Habitat for Humanity Restore outlet to see if he could trace the person who had donated the couch to the store. And it turns out he could. A lady had uh, inherited the couch from her dad when her dad passed away. And because it was old and she already had one, she had no use for it. So she just passed it off to charity without any knowledge that the money was in the ottoman in the first place. And so Mr. Kirby gave the full $43,000 back to the lady who donated the couch. Now, how many of you reckon that Howard Kirby is the most wonderful human being ever and should be applauded and celebrated for his wonderful gesture? Let me see your hand if you reckon that's the case. Yep. And how many of you reckon Howard Kirby is the craziest man on earth and he should have kept the money and not told anyone? Let me see your hand. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you, man. <laughs> I'm with you. All right. It's an interesting thought experiment, though, isn't it? Like, what would you do? What would you do if that was you? What would you do if you found that $43,000? And I get that as a bit of an ethical dilemma here because there's a debate about whose money it really is, right? Does it belong to Howard Kirby who bought the couch or does it belong to the charity to whom which the couch was donated or does it belong to the woman who gave the couch who didn't even know it was there in the first place, right? But the reason I'm sharing this story with you today is because it does in some way highlight the thing that I want to talk about today. And what I want to talk about is the wisdom of walking in integrity, The wisdom of walking in integrity. Uh, In fact, over in the Old Testament book of Proverbs, which is like the principal wisdom writing of the Old Testament, uh, it exhorts us with these words in Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 9. It says, whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. I love that statement, right? Whoever walks in integrity walks securely. In other words, what the wisdom writer is telling us is integrity is a defense. It's like a shield. It's a protection for your life. Integrity will guard your heart, and it will guard your marriage, and it will guard your business, and it will guard your church, and it will guard your ministry. And when you lack integrity in any one of those key important areas of life, then they are vulnerable. They are exposed, right? So whoever walks in integrity walks securely. Uh, Of course, integrity is also an essential ingredient in the recipe for healthy, strong relationships. If you are going to build good, strong, healthy, godly relationships with anybody in your life, whether that's at home with your spouse or with your friends or your neighbors or your work colleagues, then integrity is an important part of that because integrity establishes credibility and credibility builds trust and trust is the lifeblood of relationship. If you do not have trust, you cannot have relationship. 
And you cannot have trust without credibility, and you cannot have credibility without integrity. So if relationships matter to you, then integrity needs to matter to you, and it certainly matters to God. That's why over in Proverbs again, chapter 11, verse 20, it says, The Lord detests people with crooked hearts, but He delights in those with integrity. Right? God loves it when people pursue integrity. It's a good thing. It's a godly thing. And that, at the very least, should be the primary motivation why any of us aspire to be people of integrity, because God delights in it. Now, I must just say for the record, so that we're all kind of clear on this and that there's no kind of uncertainty about this, the truth of the matter is every single one of us sitting here in this room and every single person listening online is not 100% integrous all of the time. I wish we were. But the reality of the human condition is such that none of us are 100% integrous all of the time. We all live with inconsistency. We all behave in a kind of disingenuous sort of way. We're all guilty of some level of dishonesty, all of us. I wish it were others, other, other way, but it's not, right? That is just the reality of our human experience. Now, the good news is, though, that integrity is not a genetic predisposition. It's not the kind of thing you're either born with or without. Integrity is not a spiritual gift, right? Integrity is something that can be cultivated, something that can be nourished, something that can be nurtured, something that can be grown. So in a very real way, integrity represents like a growth pathway that all of us can and should walk down. So I reckon it's probably important for us if we're going to go down that path and pursue integrity to define what it is. Because I think you'll agree integrity is far more kind of layered and nuanced than any single sentence definition that we can apply to it. So I want to suggest to you today that there are five like, ingredients, if you like, in the recipe of integrity, or five dimensions of integrity, or five aspects to integrity. And if you're going to become a person of integrity or grow in your integrity, then you really have to pursue all five and understand how they contribute to this thing called integrity. So I want to share them with you, say a little bit about each. If you're taking notes, jot them down because that will help. All right, number one, the first hallmark of integrity is to show consistency. To show consistency. Uh, question, what do I have here? It's not a trick question. I'm asking you, what do I have here? A what? Banana. <laughs> banana, that's right. If you're an Australian, it's a banana. If you're an American, it's a banana. And if you're a South African, it's a banana. <laughs> right? Okay, but how do you know it's a banana? How do you know? Huh? Because you've seen them your whole life, all right? Because it looks like a banana, right? But all you can see is a banana peel. How do you know that there's a banana inside? I could have opened this up before the service and filled it with marshmallows or toothpaste, for all you know, and then kind of glued it back together again. What you are seeing is something on the outside that's holding up the promise of something you hope is on the inside. But you'll never really know until you open it up. So if we open up this banana, the good news is I can confirm it is indeed a banana. It looks like a banana. It smells like a banana. It tastes like a banana, right? I can confirm this is a banana. And you know what this banana has? Integrity. Integrity. The banana has integrity because the promise of what is presented on the outside is fulfilled by the reality of what's delivered on the inside. Because there's no inconsistency there. There's a congruency. 
And integrity includes this idea of consistency between how I am in public and how I am in private. The consistency between what I say and what I do. Between what I practice and what I preach. Integrity means I'm not one person on Sunday and a different person on Monday. Integrity means I don't treat these type of people with kindness and compassion and these type of people with prejudice and resentment. Integrity means I'm congruent and I am consistent, right? In fact, Jesus, when he was challenging the religious leaders of his day about their lives and their leadership, kind of accused them of this very thing. Uh, in Matthew chapter 23, verse 27 to 28, Jesus now, talking to the Pharisees and the Jewish religious leaders, says to them, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside... You are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Wow. Right? Jesus. Not holding any punches there. You say, listen, you look squeaky clean on the outside, but on the inside you're full of corruption and you're full of deceit and you're full of hypocrisy and you're presenting yourself to everyone as righteous, but the reality is you are very unrighteous and you lack integrity because that element of consistency and congruency is not there. And so integrity means that you are the same no matter who you are with or where you are. No matter where you find yourself or in whose company you find yourself, there is a consistency and a congruency. That is the first hallmark of integrity. All right, number two. The second hallmark of integrity is to speak truthfully. To speak truthfully. Um, my my father-in-law used to own a Peugeot Cabriolet, right? A car with a re retractable roof. And uh, one day, the hydraulic mechanism in the roof broke. And so he took it in to the dealer to get it repaired. And they said, well, look, this, this hydraulic part is, is bust. It's going to need to be replaced. We don't have that part here. We're going to have to fly it in from France. He said, all right, how long is it going to take? They said, probably a couple of weeks. He said, okay, how much is it going to cost? They said, uh, 70,000 rand, which is about $7,000, right? So he said, okay, um, let them go about their business. A couple of weeks later, he still hadn't heard anything back from the dealership. So he phoned them up and he said, um, I'm just calling about my car and the part. Have you ordered it? Is it on its way? What's happening? And they said, hold on, sir. We'll look into it for you. The guy went away, came back a couple of minutes later. He said, sir, I'm sorry to let you know that the part was ordered, they shipped it out, it was on its way to South Africa, but it fell out of the plane on the way here. <laughs> uh, no, are you kidding, right? It fell out of the plane on the way here. Well, needless to say, my father-in-law was like so angry, right? He nearly fell out of his chair when he heard that. Now listen, if you are going to tell a lie, at least try and make it believable, <laughs> okay? If you're going to fabricate a story, just please try and make it sound like it's at least plausible, right? So the, the fact of the matter is, as followers of Jesus, you and I have got to learn how to deal truthfully with other people, whether it's in the context of our relationships or our business dealings. We've got to learn how to speak truthfully. And again, the reason why we have to speak truthfully is because it lends itself to credibility. If you are consistently deceitful, if you are found out to be a liar, if you are in any way... Um, you know, given to exaggeration, to distortions of reality, it is going to undermine your credibility. And if it undermines your credibility, 
it's going to be hard for people to find you trustworthy. So if you want good, strong, healthy relationships, you have to establish credibility by choosing to practice honesty and speaking truthfully. I love what it says in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 6. It says, better to be poor and honest than to be dishonest and rich. How many of you know some dishonest, rich people out there? I know a few, right? Aren't they just annoying? Don't you wish God would just take them out? <laughs> All right, I do. Okay, but the wisdom of God and the Word of God says, listen, better to be broke and hold on to your integrity Better to be taken advantage of, but hold to your integrity. Better to be poor and be a person of integrity than to be dishonest and to be rich, right? Honesty is the best policy. Now, it must be said that, of course, truth-telling should never be used as a blunt instrument to harm other people, right? Our truth-telling and our speaking honestly should always be coupled with kindness and with gentleness and with sensitivity, and sometimes the difference between truth-telling being hurtful or helpful is just simply timing and delivery, right? So it might take kind of wisdom to know what the right thing to say is, um, but it takes integrity to say it in a way that is helpful and that is not hurtful, in a way that is kind and candid, in a way that is sensitive and gentle. So make sure that in your truth-telling, you are thoughtful of others. But make no mistake about it. Telling the truth and being honest is a hallmark of integrity. All right, number three. The third dimension of integrity is to allow transparency. To allow transparency. Now, this is very similar to honesty, but it's not quite the same thing in that transparency is allowing for independent investigation. Transparency is allowing people the opportunity for an external validation of what you are saying. So it's one thing to tell the truth and to be honest, it's another thing to allow others to independently verify that what you are saying is true and that what you are doing is sincere. So listen to the way Paul the Apostle explains this when he talks about his own life and his own ministry in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 to 2. Paul says, since God has so generously let us in on what he is doing, we're not about to throw up our hands and walk away on the job just because we run into occasional hard times. We refuse to wear masks and play games. And just for the record, that has nothing to do with COVID, right? So don't try and quote that scripture out of context, right? He says, we refuse to wear masks and play games. We don't maneuver and manipulate behind the scenes. And we don't twist God's word to suit ourselves. He says, rather, we keep everything we do and say out in the open. The whole truth on display. So that those who want to can see and judge for themselves. Right? Paul's saying, listen, our lives are an open book. We've got nothing to hide. We're not trying to pull the wool over your eyes. There's no secret agenda here. We're not trying to coerce you or manipulate you. There's no smoke and mirrors. There's no pretense. You can verify for yourself that what we're saying is true and that our hearts are sincere. We're open to scrutiny. We're open to being tested, right? That is what allowing transparency does. And when you allow transparency, when your life is an open book, you can say to people, hey, here's my phone. Check my browsing history. You want to know what kind of a father I am? Talk to my children. Don't take my word for it. Like, ask my children what kind of a father I am at home. If you want to know what kind of a man I am as a husband, don't take my word for it. Talk to my wife. Ask her what kind of a man I am at home, right? That's allowing 
transparency, and it's an important hallmark of integrity. All right, number next. The fourth dimension of integrity is to act rightly, to act rightly. And by that, I simply mean integrity does the right thing for no other reason than it is the right thing to do. Uh, Paul kind of gives expression to this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 to 3, when he exhorts us with these words. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now notice, Paul provides two motivations for honoring your father and mother. One of those motivations, he says, is because God will bless it. You honor your mom and dad, God will honor you, and he will bless you with long life. But that is the secondary motivation. Notice Paul's primary motivation is what I call the motivation of moral rightness. Paul says you ought to honor your father and mother. Why? Because it is the right thing to do. Because God said it. And if God said it, then we do it for no other reason. Whether there's benefit or reward or blessing or not, it's the right thing to do. And so what integrity does is integrity does the right thing because it's the right thing. Now, I know that from time to time you find yourself in a situation where it's kind of hard to work out. What is the right thing to do in this particular situation? There is a, a kind of very real challenge around ethical dilemmas. But that's not what I'm talking about this morning. What I'm talking about are the right things that you know are the right things. Integrity does those. It's like C.S. Lewis, the Christian philosopher and author, said, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts of the Bible I do, <laughs> right? So integrity does the right thing because it knows it's the right thing to do. So what that means is when tax time rolls around, don't cheat on your taxes, Right? By all means, apply your tax minimization strategies and be wise and responsible in your financial stewardship. But don't commit tax evasion. Can I get an amen? <laughs> that was an underwhelming amen. <laughs> right? Honor your commitments. Pay your bills. If you reverse out of the parking bay in the shopping center and you accidentally reverse into another car, you don't drive off and hope that nobody saw and pray that there's no CCTV. You get out of the car and you write down your name and your mobile number on a piece of paper and you stick it on their windscreen and you say, I'm so sorry, I accidentally bumped your car, call me so I can make this right. Because that is the right thing to do. Right? If you're playing golf with your boss and you three putt on the green, on the par four, and you score a five, what do you write down on the scorecard? You write down five, right? Not four while your boss is not looking because you got a five. That's the right thing to do. Okay, uh, if you're standing in the in the in the queue at the at the shopping market and uh, the person in front of you drops a fifty dollar note on the floor and doesn't realize it, you don't put your foot on it, <laughs> pretend you didn't see anything, and then kind of slide it out of the door <laughs> until you get to the car right? and then and then pick it up and praise the Lord, right? You, no, you pick it up and you give it back to them and you say, "I'm sorry, you don't realize you, you dropped." $50. Why? Because that is the right thing to do. Integrity does the right thing for no other reason than it is the right thing to do. And doing the right thing, even though it's the hard thing, is always the best thing because God will honor that. All right, number five, last but not least, the fifth hallmark of integrity is to accept responsibility. To accept responsibility. See, the fact of the matter, friends, is every single one of us, because we are human, we are broken, we are fallen, we are imperfect, every single one of us 
makes mistakes. We all do things that we deeply regret. We all say things we wish we could take back. Every single one of us have regrets about the way we behaved, about the choices we've made, about the way we've treated other people, because we are human. That is the reality of our condition. That is why we need the grace of God. Every single one of us is imperfect. So integrity is not about being perfect, because that's not achievable. Integrity is, however, about taking responsibility when you make a mistake. When you do do something you regret, when you say something you wish you hadn't, take ownership of it. Take responsibility for it. Be willing to say, I'm sorry. That was my bad. That was my mistake. And I'm going to do everything I can in my power to make it right. I'm so struck by this statement in Psalm chapter 78, verse 72, concerning King David. It says, David shepherded Israel with integrity of heart and skillfulness of hand. What an interesting statement for the Bible to make about a man who committed adultery with his neighbor's wife and then arranged for her husband to be murdered. How could the Bible describe David as a man of integrity after such an incredibly selfless or selfish act like that and such a deeply wounding mistake? And the answer is simply because when David was confronted about his sin by Nathan the prophet, he broke down in contrition and repentance and he confessed it and he acknowledged it and he owned it and he cried out to God for forgiveness and he did whatever he could in his power to make it right. That's why in Psalm 51 verse 1 to 4, David cries out in his moment of contrition and repentance. And this is his prayer to God. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Right, you can hear David's broken heart. You can hear his desire to make right. And he cries out to God for mercy. Friends, that's what integrity does. Integrity is not about being perfect. It's about being responsible. And about being willing to say, I made a mistake. I got it wrong. I owe you an apology. That was my bad. And no doubt every single one of us at some point in our journey of life and relationship are going to have to do that. Now, friends, you may have noticed on this little graphic that we've been working our way around, that right in the middle is a little question mark. And the reason that question mark is there is because there really is a, a kind of sixth little ingredient, if you like, in the recipe of integrity. It really does make integrity, integrity. In fact, without this essential final ingredient, all of those five dimensions of integrity can become tainted. By that I mean it's possible to do the right thing for the wrong reason. In other words, you can speak truthfully, but you can speak truthfully in order to hurt somebody or undermine somebody. It's like the difference between persuasion and manipulation. Persuasion and manipulation are very similar. They kind of look and sound the same. Because persuasion is my attempt to convince you. But the motivation behind that persuasion is your well-being. When I try to persuade you, I'm trying to convince you of something because I genuinely believe 
that if you're convinced of that something, it'll be good for you. It'll be better for you. But when I try to manipulate you, I'm trying to convince you for my benefit. I'm trying to convince you of something so that I can gain. I don't have your best interest at heart. When I try to persuade you, it's because I care about you. When I try to manipulate you, it's because I don't. And so it is possible for you to take these five elements of integrity and to use them in a way that's disingenuous. In other words, you can, you can try and portray yourself as integrous in one part of your life only because you're trying to cover up a lack of integrity in another part of your life. But friends, the goal here is not to create the appearance of integrity. The goal is to become integrous, to grow in our integrity. And that's why that sixth final little ingredient, the one thing that makes integrity integrity is the ingredient of intent. The intention behind why you do what you do. The motivation. And at the end of the day, the motivation should be a desire to honor God and bless others. If you're going to practice these five things, it should not be so that other people think you're integrous. It should be, it should be because there's a deep, sincere desire in your heart to delight the heart of God and to be the source of life and blessing to others. To truly be a person of integrity in ever-increasing measure. And I'll finish with this final encouragement from the Apostle Paul writing in 2 Corinthians toward the end of his life and after many years of faithful ministry. And he says to the Corinthian church, now this is our claim. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relationship with you with integrity and godly sincerity. Here's the key, friends. He says, we have done so relying not on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace. I love that. Paul's saying, listen, we have managed to live our lives with integrity before you. But we didn't do it by worldly wisdom or by our own power and strength. He said, we became people of integrity and ministers of integrity because of God's divine enablement. And the key to becoming a person of integrity is not to scale the mountain of self-improvement. <laughs> It's to immerse yourself in the river of divine enablement. It's to plunge yourself into the Spirit of God's grace and to allow Him to shape you and mold you and form you and convict you and challenge you and change you. And thank God this morning that that grace, that grace that transformed Paul's life and heart is available to each and every one of us this morning. Amen. So to that end, I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet if you're physically able and willing and Join your heart together with mine as we pray. And if you're comfortable doing so, bow your heads, close your eyes. And all across this auditorium and for those listening online, we're going to lean into this moment and just invite God by His Spirit to impart that grace to our lives and our hearts. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more great resources and to keep yourself up to date, head to our website. Visit therocks.church.